This is Chris Martin, and me and my buddy Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Everything, host an NBA podcast called The Mismatch. They call it The Mismatch because I'm awesome and Kevin is a gigantic nerd. No, no, that, that's not why at all, Chris. They call it The Mismatch because I have a brain and you're a loudmouth bozo. Good grief. <laughs> anyway, listen to our amazing NBA podcast, The Mismatch. Or don't. We really don't care. We're probably going to win a million awards either way. <laughs> Chris, we do care, so don't say that. Please subscribe and listen to The Mismatch only on Spotify. Did you really call me a bozo? <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, View its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. A lot's happened. A lot has happened. What? When did you realize this might happen? What what was there a game or a stretch where you're like, holy, holy shit, we might actually roll off some titles here? From a team perspective, it was uh, I guess that in the, somewhere in that 2013 season, we were like that young naive team um, where we felt like we could win every game we showed up to, whether we had yeah. the experience or not. Um, a lot of that, my guy, Jared Jack, who was on that squad, yeah. uh, he gave us that like veteran presence and confidence to kind of push us along. Um, and then we were just kind of rebels out there on the court. So when we got to the playoffs that year against Denver, um, against Andre and, uh, Andre Miller, uh, who else was on that team? Yeah, it was Danilo, a weird. Ty Lawson. Uh, yeah, Ty Lawson. We were in the same draft class. Like we just came in like we're, we're going to win this series and there's nothing that, Anybody's going to say about it. And uh, it happened, but we really didn't know kind of the – nobody had any playoff experience, so we didn't know what to expect. And yeah. it was just – I think that played into our to our advantage. And then we go – and that next season – next series we play San Antonio, still the same kind of, you know, conf- overconfidence, but that was when we really had to figure out how to win a basketball game when it mattered. And uh, – you know, our, our youth and talent, our, our speed got to them a little bit in the first two games, but over the course of that series, we it's a real eye opener. Understand it's like going exactly. to grad school, yeah, yeah. a quick, yeah, uh, two week grad school, and uh, from there, um, it was it was kind of just understanding what we need to do from a team perspective, put the right pieces in place to to give ourselves a chance to actually be you know, be serious about winning a championship, and uh, and we kind of excel from there. 
I told you that uh, I went on TV in 2013 and predicted you were going to beat the Spurs. <laughs> I wish we could have made that you was, right. That was like man. going to grad school for me too because I took so much shit for that. <laughs> hey, man, how the Warriors doing? <laughs> you got a, Where, how they looking in round three? Notification popped up, Bill Simmons yeah. predicts. Huge. I was like, I was like oh, maybe I shouldn't be that over the top picking <laughs> underdog anymore on national TV. You could have been on top of the world because we were literally, you know, uh, Possession in game one from being up, you know, 2-0 in the, yeah, on the road I remember coming that. home. Um, but yeah, Popovich and, and Duncan and Parker and Ginobili had something to say about it. The infrastructure. That is That's very tough. Patriots-esque. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I remember, I definitely remember thinking you guys had stumbled onto something with you and Clay. You know, like, oh, this is, wow, could, what's the ceiling on this? I have no idea. Could these guys make... 10 combined threes a game. I don't yeah. know. And then actually you guys started making nine combined threes a game. It's interesting the way that we do it, right? Cause we balance each other off so well. So yeah, obviously I can shoot off the dribble and like to create and that kind of stuff. But Clay is such a master moving out the ball and the unsung hero pretty much every night when it comes to, he's so low maintenance. Um, yeah. He, he doesn't really need the ball. He scored what 60 plus on 11 dribbles or whatever it was. Like he's so efficient. Um, it allows me to kind of have space to do what I need to do or to run the top of the key and create and play off of him. And uh, either one of us taking a shot, you obviously like those chances for sure. Yeah, historically, because there's so many other angles with the Warriors that, that you guys haven't, I feel like, gotten your proper due as a backcourt. It's because it, there's so many other ways to go. Yeah. But in terms of the all-time backcourts, it's way up there. That would actually be an interesting podcast for me i should you, go you through break that look. down i'll yeah, be listening just like, <laughs> see we, where you put us well you how many years now it's, he was 2011 he, this so it's is been, going on this be year eight yeah going, we finished seven yeah together i think what's cool about it and this happens not very often when two guards like they complement each other it's not just that you guys are good and you've had success and individual success team success but actually like the combo of it is nice and that doesn't really happen with basketball where you just have two guys who are like, oh, we, these two actually make themselves better as a combo with the spacing they do and how they play off each other. 100%. It works on both ends, too. I mean, we know how great of a two-way player Clay is, um, and there's no secret. When sometimes he guards the other team's point guard, yeah. and I'll guard off the ball, and sometimes I'll give him a breather and switch back. Um, so both offensively and defensively, you know, we are very complementary. Um, he doesn't get credit for guarding – guys that are much smaller than him because I, I think tough. that's one of the reasons you guys have three titles 100 percent um there's a lot of very, small guys in the league there's a lot of small guys in the league a lot of fast guys a lot of guys that have the ball in their hands a lot during the possession and uh he likes those challenges so um you know there's no secret in our locker room how vital he is to what we do and um well also he's the one you guys make fun of the most right He's a, he's a comedy lightning rod. He is. I don't even know if he realizes how funny he is. And like in, in person, um, he, he's- I think he does realize old, it now. He's got an old man quirks though. He'll come in the locker room. He'll sit on the chair with his, you know, fold his leg over and he'll read a newspaper like two hours before the game. And that's like, he did a, <laughs> I think he did a marketer piece for like the Bay Area Times or San Jose yeah. Mercury News or whatever it was. And, uh, and literally, you might think that that was just fake. Like, that's real. Like, he actually comes in. There's a newspaper sitting on his uh, on his chair. He reads it. I don't know what type of knowledge he's bringing in. So he's like a 72-year-old retired CEO. He's a savant. He knows everything. And uh, he'll he'll be very uh, timely with that uh, when he drops that knowledge on you. 
It is funny because with, with teams, they'll always be like, oh, that guy, he's everybody's favorite teammate or that there'll always be multiple choices. Mm-hmm. And with Clay, it just seems like he's everybody's favorite teammate. Like universally. Even DeMarcus said it in his press conference. He's like, he doesn't even play with Clay besides the, uh, the Olympics uh, two years ago. But he's like, that's, that's my favorite guy already. Yeah. And he hasn't spent a day in the Warriors locker room with us. But yeah, he has that, uh, that presence that, uh, that you need. He, uh, he, he's, 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 he's a unique. Sure. You mean when you guys cheated and you got Demarcus, even though he's what coming off a major about, injury? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm actually on your side on this one. Everyone got so mad with the Demarcus thing, and he's like, the guy tore his Achilles last year. It's if he comes one. back in February, it'll be like a bonus for you guys. I think all the way through, just the the you know, benefit of being you know on our team. Obviously, for him, he is. There's no rush for him to come back. He can right. really take his time uh, and get right, but. When I look at just the opportunity that comes, you know, past whenever in January, February, whenever he comes back to the playoffs, it gives us a whole new dynamic. And, you know, whatever type of DeMarcus shows up, I know he expects to be back to fully 100% and we do too, but whatever Mark DeMarcus shows up, it gives us uh, a new dimension that we, we haven't had before. A guy that can actually go get a bucket on the block. We can have guys, shooters around him. Um, get some he's ball actually play, uh, He's an amazing playmaker and you've seen it in New Orleans, but, you know, when he gets the ball at the top of the key, he can break the you know bigs down, and he's a great passer. So we, Coach Curry loves great passing big men that can yeah. uh, that can read read the defense and make plays. So um, it's going to be amazing, man. I'm excited about it. It's obviously it reminds me that I mean now we can officially start thinking about what your your whole run versus the Bulls in the '90s because you have three, they had six, but um, there was one year where they had a Bison Daylay in '97. In like February, and they only had him for a couple months, but he gave them this whole new look that they didn't have any of those other six years, and that's what I thought you guys were missing last year. It was it was just kind of the same nucleus, and mm-hmm. there wasn't, you know, you go back to the '60s with like the Arbac Celtics. They would always add the one guy every year, right? Who was like, oh, the new guy. Oh, yeah. this guy really wants it. And you keep guys every- had that with David West, and keep everybody on the edge because you got to figure it out, right? And I think that's the benefit of this year. Uh-huh. Yeah, you want the one guy who's who's just dying to be on a good team, and he can't believe his good fortune, and you can kind of feed off that. Yeah, one hundred percent. And there's going to be some a feeling out process, obviously, because uh, lineups will change a little bit, rotations may change a little bit, but I think just over the course of eighty-two games, and then we look at the playoffs. Uh, it gives us really something to look forward to uh, yeah. and something to really focus on how we're going to implement his his skill set to what we do. Obviously, keeping our style of play, playing fast, using, um, you know, our, the, the guys that have been around uh, these last, you know, three, four years and, and figuring that out. But it gives us something to look forward to, which uh, I'm looking, sitting here in, in August, thinking about how we get back to June. There's a lot of time in between. We got to be ready. I was watching the game when he got hurt, actually. I've been watching the Pelicans those last couple weeks. I just enjoyed the way him and Davis were playing together. Yeah. And he was playing the best he'd, he'd ever played and was just doing all they the stuff we kind of wanted for playoff run, right? They oh, were, yeah. Uh, eight, chasing the eighth spot, right? Yeah. And so, But they, they were, it was one of those things where I didn't think they were going to beat you, but I was at least ready to have the conversation of this would be a really interesting playoff series 100%. with these two big dudes, and I don't know what the Warriors would have to do if they're both out there. Um we we got to go back to 2014 because I I was at that game, Clippers game seven. Yeah, I thought that was the most important game in this whole run for you guys. Like you talked about the Spurs were 
like going to grad school for a year, but that was like, you got your doctorate in the game seven. Yeah. Chris Paul fouled you maybe 45 times in that game. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, it was a street fight. It and was. Chris Paul is great at knowing when the refs are going to back off a he little. A and he's just like, all right, I'll just foul everybody all the time now. <laughs> and you took it and you had a really good game. And that was the game where I was like, you know, I didn't think you were going to win two MVPs and three titles in the next four years. But I was like, you know, Steph's, this, that was good. That was a good good game for him. I remember. I think that he game, has a good he's a seven, good career head. Game seven on the road, yeah. We uh our, that was again our core. We had an opportunity to take that next step. Uh, we hadn't played in game seven before. And so to show up on the road against a team that we had had so much history with going yeah. back and forth. That was an interesting series all the way around with the whole Donald Sterling thing. And yeah, it was a very emotional uh series back and forth. Um, but to get to a game seven and have to just lay it out on the line, we obviously lost. But uh, for me personally, it was definitely a breakthrough type moment to know, you know, when the lights are bright, I, I had a pretty solid game. I know I could have played better and then learned some things about uh, how to deal with the physicality of playoffs, how to deal with game seven officiating, how right. to deal with all that type of stuff. Um, and for our core, exactly, you know, we just figured out how to win uh, through losing. We figured out how to win. And then that next season, we come back and we win a, you know, our first ship. So, yeah, I was saying to the, to Steve before we started about how I do feel like with the great NBA teams, it is like a video game a little bit. And you got to hit these certain the different levels. levels. Yeah. Even in 2015, when you guys won the title, you were tight those first couple games in the finals. Oh, for it, sure. It, you, it I think definitely even didn't look like that, you. Before that. Even getting through to the finals, there were the two series, um, or sorry, one series against Memphis, we were down 2-1 oh, on that's the right. road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And game four on the road, down 2-1, and obviously that's a that's a must-win situation. And we passed those tests all the way through, um, you know, just to have a chance to play in the finals. And and that's a whole different environment. I know you did your piece on, like, courtside at the finals and whatnot, yeah. like – if you're not there and like go through the the practices, the media sessions, the the whole kind of prelude to just actually playing the game, it, it catches you off guard for sure. And so we were playing against LeBron, who had been there at that point, what five straight times, and I think it was the six finals. Um, uh, and and so he obviously has experience and that that exude confidence on his side. But for us, it was a bunch of guys who had never been there before, and yeah. so we had to figure it out. Um, you go out there and there's. Hundreds of people oh, around it's crazy. the court watching watching thirty minutes of practice as yeah. you do shooting drills and stuff, and you're like, they're really just you know cameras rolling twenty four seven, um, and and the world is watching you. We know the league and the NBA is so popular and it has been for years, but uh, when you get to the finals, it's just a whole other animal that you got to go through it a little bit. And it took us really three games to figure it out. I remember that Memphis series. All these teams have that one moment, like even. I remember when the 08 Celtics, when they traded for KG and mm -hmm. Ray Allen, and it was the super team. But then when we got to the playoffs, it was like Atlanta seven games, Cleveland seven games. And it's when you haven't been there and you don't totally trust each other yet, it does. Everybody's kind of looking so around. It's tense and people aren't themselves all of a sudden. You got to get through it. What, what you said about LeBron, though, with all those finals, it reminded me of Brady was talking about the last Super Bowl against the Falcons when they came back. Uh -huh. And he was like, he'd been in so many Super Bowls that he learned to almost his preparation for the game was totally different than any other game. Because well, the routine is totally yeah, different. Yeah. You're there four hours before everybody's in the field. <clears throat> the halftime's 45 minutes instead of 20. And 
and he kind of taught himself how not to peak in the first half yeah. and to stay calm versus like being so fired up in the first half, then you crash. I think but, a lot of that too is from a coaching standpoint as well for Coach Kerr who had been with the with the Bulls and with uh, the Spurs in the finals and, and learned from Phil Jackson and, and Popovich how to kind of pace ourselves through that preparation because I think yeah. we had about five, six days to prepare for game one. And it's really relying on him to, you know, set the schedule to figure out how we're going to get to our peak performance come game one. Right. For us, our hearts are racing from the time we, you know, walked off the court, you know, in the Western Conference Finals. But um, that whole kind of just experience um, helped us kind of get over the hump when we when we didn't play as, as well as we wanted to in those first three games. And then it just carried over every year since um, in terms of just being comfortable in that, in that environment. Um, well, the best you, the best you guys ever played was that win streak. Yeah. That was really yeah, that was, something. Cause that year, the confidence from the last title, you had everybody shitting on you. We won 24 games in a row. I think, well, <laughs> the start of season. And you start the season, you're not the favorites. <laughs> it it's was, like, ah, oh, they had theirs. Now LeBron and Kyrie. And, it's, and then you guys are like, Oh really? Yeah. But I thought to win that many games around the Celtics, I think won 16 last year. And you need luck just to win 16. You oh, need to have sure. those two or three games that you shouldn't have won that you pulled out of your ass. 24 was incredible. I'm a, I haven't looked back game by game. I would say those we had probably four of those. Yeah. And we shouldn't have won out of 24. That's pretty solid. I think we really deserved to win, you know, the other 20. I remember there was um, one in Boston. Yeah, that was that was 20, that was we, game 24. The Celtics should have stolen that one. Double right? overtime. And then we went next night uh, back to back to Milwaukee. And that's yeah, where we lost that was, our first game, which is we still had tough. a chance to win. Which, by the way, I know you're you know, an amazing uh, T-shirt designer when it comes to great sayings and all that yeah. type of stuff. The 24 and 1 Milwaukee Buck fan shirts. I need to get one of those <laughs> in my arsenal. Do those exist? Yeah, they do. They had the whole fan, the whole, uh, uh, I guess, their their spirit section or whatever you want to call it. They had the 24 and 1. That's the highlight of the decade, <laughs> beating you guys right after a double overtime game. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, I remember that Boston game. Draymond, during that streak, would just have a couple games where he just went full Draymond. Oh, yeah. And in that game, he was he was so – it's hard to explain. There's really never been a guy like him who can control a game but not score, like, 40 points. It's unbelievable. He's a and winner. he's so intense, and he actually, like, puts his stamp on it, which I think during the regular season it's been harder and harder for him to do because you guys – you're saving stuff now for the playoffs every year. Very yeah. rarely do you have those games during it's, the season. It's a, it's a real uh, balance of understanding what we're trying to do to build towards a playoff run and understanding the fundamentals of how we're going to you know, win a championship and what we need to, to focus on, which is really hard to get up for every single – like the, those Wednesday night back-to-back yeah. uh, on the road against whoever. If it's an Eastern Conference team, we're on the, you know, a 7-, 10-day road trip. Those, those games are tough, and that's what the NBA is. Obviously, it's 82. Everybody got to play the same schedule. But uh, for us, having gone through these championship runs, it's going to be our fifth year in a row in terms of really having a realistic shot of winning. Yeah. Um, you got you to gotta pace yourself a little bit. I hate saying that in terms of, like, we, we really appreciate every game that we go out there, but it's tough, man. It's well, tough. that first year, though, when you had the streak and you guys were kind of becoming a phenomenon in the league. And when you would go to Milwaukee, you go to Charlotte, you go to yeah. Atlanta, it was the biggest game of the season for the fans of that team. And it did seem like you guys fed off that. But I think after four years that you probably don't notice it anymore, right? 
Only time I notice is when we got to buy tickets and they look at the ticket prices. I'm like, hold on, we got to pay what for my family to come to the game? Like, that's crazy. We talk about like probably my first four years, I used to go back to Charlotte. I get my one chance to go home and play in front of my home, yeah, my home city every year. And it was so easy to get tickets, you know, first four years, you know, they were a French playoff team and we were irrelevant in terms of uh, being at the top of the league. And uh, probably right after the championship run, my dad called me about a month and a half before we played Charlotte. And he's like, hey, I need to get your ticket list for Charlotte. Yeah. I'm like, wait, what? You, that's like, I thought we were not playing them for another like five weeks. He's like, yeah, but they're selling out the whole arena. The guy's offering you a suite if you want to take it. I know you usually have like, you know, 40, 50 fam- uh, family members come. We got to get that list now so we get prepared. I'm like, what are you <laughs> what <laughs> Really? Is, that's when it first sunk in. Like, yeah. this is a real, real deal that – uh uh, you know the, the Warriors have a little traveling fan base, and for the opposing teams, they want to come watch us play. Good luck at the All Star Game this year. I know. That's what I was thinking about that too. Yeah, that's one where you have to you have to call Adam Silver directly. Be like, <laughs> like, hey man, what what, what do the deal? stadium? Yeah. yeah, I'll go to China <laughs> if you give me two hundred tickets. <laughs> when did you notice the fans coming to watch you warm up? That, was that the streak season or that was that the year before? The year before, like halfway through the 2015 year. Um, the first championship. The first year. championship year. It was my first MVP year. I, I don't know how it became anything, but me doing my pregame routine where I do the two ball handling drill, yeah. I do my. Uh, my well, shooting be- it routine. It became something because you were making 40 footers over and over <laughs> again. See People seem to works. be intrigued by that. <laughs> um, but. <laughs> I remember uh, getting a call from our PR guy and they said, hey, when we go, I can't remember what city it was. He's like, hey, when we're going to the city, they they asked us if it was all right if they opened their doors for fans to come in 30 minutes early so that they can watch you warm up. Yeah. And so that question, I was like, well, I guess that's fine. But I never knew like people would actually come that early to watch, you know, a warm up situation, even though if they were to get an autograph, there's there's no guarantee that that's going to happen either. So yeah. Um, we got to the city and literally probably three of the sections were full. Uh, some mostly warrior fans, but some of the, uh, the opposing teams fans, um, coming in and watching me do, you know, pound the ball for five minutes and get like a hundred and 125 shots and then go back in the locker room and get ready to play. Did you, do you notice them when you're, when you're warming up or are you zoned out? No, I notice them. It's almost a mental challenge and not. To control my uh, my energy in terms, I don't want to burn myself out in warm ups. But if you make a shot and you hear like a rattle of applause, like during a warm up, it kind of gets you going. You start to feel good, yeah. And you realize you start to like pick up your pace a little bit, and you're rushing, and it takes my whole rhythm off. In terms, I got to really focus on just staying in the moment and uh, and keeping the routine what it is, and making sure my process for preparing for games isn't jeopardized by how many people are watching early. This is a different environment because it's it's a little bit quieter, but there's so much presence of fans. It's crazy. I mean, you notice if one person is staring at you, right? You'd be like, is somebody staring at me? You turn like somebody's staring at you. And there's only been a few players like this where when they come out in the court, everybody's just kind of staring at them. It's, it's, it's weird. I remember Jordan. Still, it's still weird. I promise. Yeah, it's got to be yeah. weird. I remember when Jordan would come to Boston in the 90s and we'd all be so excited and he would come out and we would all just like <laughs> in a trance like, oh my God, there he is. You know, there's only like, been a few guys like that. You're a little self-conscious too, like that. I pick my nose or something. Yeah, I seriously. Did I do what something you weird out nose? there for like an hour? <laughs> going through the, my memory to make sure I didn't mess up. I remember in the uh, we were doing courtside for the finals 
and we decided to film your warm up at game two. And I, I talked to God. I'm I'm blanking because I'm old. The guy, your your dude who throws you the passes. Oh, Bruce Fraser. Yeah, Bruce. we call him Q. Yeah. yeah. Talked to Bruce about it, and we were just going all in on your on your pregame, and you made the shot in the tunnel. Oh yeah. And we got that, which was a really cool thing. But every time you take the shot in the tunnel, what is that like fifty feet? At least, but it's a weird angle because yeah. you're, you're behind the baseline. So you got to shoot almost back. from your chest. Yeah, and you made that, and they were like, "We got the shot. He made it in the tunnel." And I was like, "Oh, Steph's gonna have a good game today." <laughs> but that so so then you did. You hit like eleven threes. They worked out that night, but um, the first time I scored fifty at Oracle, I had the worst shooting work. Q will tell you this. I had the worst shooting workout of yeah. all time. Like I, if I shoot a hundred shots, it probably or make a hundred shots in my warm up. It probably took me like 300, 350 to get through it. And he was looking at me like, Oh, what's going on? He's trying to coach me through like get your <laughs> legs in and your elbows flying out or whatever. And then I kind of forgot about it, got out to the game and, and had my first 50 point game at home. And we just laughed about it. Like there's no real, you know, right. marker of if, how my shooting workout goes, if that means it's going to be a good game or whether I make the tunnel shot, that means it's going to be a good game or not. So, um, what's the hottest you've been during a game? What stands out the most? What's your all-time heat check? New York. MSG. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. That was for sure. Um, that was also relatively <laughs> early in your kind of superstar career. Because I remember on Twitter that was a moment. Yeah. yeah. That was, was kind of your arrival our, game. Our first playoff run. But, yeah, um, I didn't make an all-star team that year. But I kind of played a lot more consistently. I think I don't know why I was averaging nothing. But just the way that um, – I was playing was kind of turning heads and you get to MSG and when you play on that, that court and you do something special, it takes a life of its own. And that uh, was an ESPN game too. I it think. was. Yeah. Uh, Doris Burke was on the call. Yeah. Shout me out. Uh, Mark Jones. So it was, it was pretty, pretty cool night. And the worst part about it is we lost. Uh, Mello hit a dagger three with like 18 seconds left and I couldn't get a shot off down the stretch. Um, I think it was the third game. greatest Knicks moment of the decade <laughs> that game. <laughs> the past the, the, the upset against Golden State. Was that insanity? Uh, Golden yeah. State. That was pre or was that post insanity? Yeah. Yeah. post. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you monitor what all these other teams are doing during the se- during the summer, or do you not care? Oh yeah, I, I notice. I mean, I'm checking my phone, seeing especially when free agency happens to see what's going down, but uh, it doesn't. Like, do you have Woj as a Twitter notification where he has a bomb and goes right to your phone? No. only thing I appreciate about Woj was the uh, the draft night uh, shenanigans where he had to try to uh, predict the, the picks before, but he couldn't necessarily say Oh, he say, to, like, hey, he dance around it? The the blanks are really keen on selecting. Like, he had to figure all these different adjectives. It's pretty pretty clever. But, no, I, I, stay, I stay in tune with what's going on. You got to know the lay of the land. Um and kind of just get mentally prepared for what challenges teams might face uh, or present coming into the next season. Who's on your radar? You want to call anyone out? Let's start some feuds. I mean, <laughs> Port- Portland, CJ Portland is yeah, throwing daggers. Hot topic right now. CJ and KD had their thing, whatever. Uh, I take that as pure entertainment. Um, it's NBA Twitter is unreal. Like it's it's a it's a thing. It's a legit it's thing. Good. It's really, it's really. It actually is amazing. It's not more frequent where guys just are going at each other. It's uh, so easy to just type a tweet and send it. You it know. Is. Uh, well, I, I would, I would argue it's, it's been very, very consistent. Just in, like throughout the course of the season, 
You got uh, I could probably name you got you got Embiid stuff. You got Enos Cantor. You got all yeah. sorts of people just throwing shade back and forth. Embiid's and ten out of ten. The NBA pettiness is at an all time high. It really I, is. I am here for it. It really is. Embiid turned out to be a great villain for the Celtics. <laughs> that's what, that's what they needed. That's what they needed. He stormed off the court after we knocked him out. He was like point. The crowd was chanting Embiid sucks, and he was doing, <laughs> waving his arms. He was good. He was like he's, a WWE character. He's worth the price of admission for sure, all the way around. That's that's one guy you need boogie for. For Embiid, yeah. That Draymond, Draymond held it down last year. Did he me. really? Seven foot three don't Embiid. Let, don't let it. Don't get it twisted. He, uh, we, Draymond ain't gonna back down from anybody, but he, uh, he held it down. What's your favorite Draymond story? What's the one story that captures what it's like to be on the same team as Draymond Green? Uh, Other than the game where he almost got thrown out for trash talking uh, the Clippers <laughs> when he wasn't even in uniform. <laughs> I remember that game. Probably the times him and Coach Kerr get into it. And you're inside practice and you like you don't know whose side to take. <laughs> so you're like, I guess they're both right, but they're both wrong. What do they argue about? Like, give me an example. Uh, Just where he should go on a play? play call or maybe something Coach Kerr has been thinking about for a couple of games about a, a tendency that we've been, you know, shading to. And he's like, don't overcoach like this and that. It's all, we, we know what you're doing. And coach is like, well, I, I know you know what you're doing, but let me just, you know, help you along as I'm supposed to do. And that's what my job is to do to point out things that could be important for us to win a championship. Right. Um, but they, they have a real, like the respect level between them two is a, is an all time high, but they have their moments, and it's just amazing entertainment to watch in practice. By three coaches' first year, uh, we were had doing some five on five drill, and Draymond loves. It was early in the season. Draymond loves talking trash to the whole team. It doesn't yeah. matter if it's me, if it's for, uh, Sean Livingston was posting me up on the block, and I had I had no chance to try to contest a shot, and he did a little turnaround, Sean Livingston vintage turnaround yeah, over old top band of game. And Draymond's on the He's too small, Dot. He's too <laughs> small, Dot. Uh, baby food, like yelling all that stuff during the middle of uh, practice. I mean, he's on my team. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, like, bro, come on. <laughs> um, but like that little stuff happens. But then when him and Coach Kerr get into it, like the whole practice stops because they're two important voices when it comes to how the, you know, how practice is flowing. And so we let them kind of deal with their, deal with their, uh, their issue and we keep it moving. And then you, at the end of the practice, this is like nothing happened. And that's, that's it sounds like it. my relationship with my 13 year old daughter. <laughs> we get into it and there's still love after. 100%. Just wait. You just wait till your daughter's uh, at 13. I'm closing in on that. Uh, Let me tell you something. Teenager life for sure. All the, uh, all the rumors are not exaggerated of what it's like. <laughs> you can't even believe it. You're, how old's your oldest daughter now? She just started first grade and she's six. So, so six and 10 were my favorite ages. Okay. Six is great. And they love their dads at six. They, and they, they still I, love I their dads agree, at 10. I agree with that. And yeah, there's just new wait experiences because she's kind of branching off now into her real, true, independent life when it comes to school and her friends and all that type of stuff. Just wait till the mayor starts getting involved. I'm not ready for that. Yeah. Oh, it happens <laughs> fast, too. Like, what happened? You were so cute a week ago. Now you're, now you're yelling at me and you're in front of Mary. Yeah, it gets. Yeah. So when your daughter became, what, what year was that when she was in the podium? That was 2015. That was the first championship run. So after we played uh, Houston in the Western Conference Finals, I think it was game one or two uh, at home, I brought her with me to the podium. And 
And then was, it turned into a it thing. It turned into a thing. Like she, her cuteness was overloaded. It was ridiculous. And then there's a backlash. People are like, oh, I don't know if Steph Curry yeah, should have his daughter whole, in the podium. That's right. There was a whole conversation. Like, I wouldn't bring my daughter to work. And, yeah. and the report, the media was talking about they couldn't hit their deadlines because I was answering questions slow because my daughter was interrupting. And like, I'm like, what are you? <laughs> this is a real thing? Like, I love that the your media is already written anyway. Like, yeah. why are you? <laughs> Just send it in. Deadlines. <laughs> Internet. There are no deadlines anymore. Seriously, it was uh, it was eye opening to see what people truly cared about in the midst of a playoff run. Like, this is my daughter. I'm enjoying a moment with her. I could run through countless NBA. My dad used to do it. With me, Allen Iverson had his kids. Steve Nash had his kids. Like everybody brings their kids. It's a huge part of yeah. like being an NBA player, being able to share that with you, with your family. And uh, just it happens that uh, they wanted to throw some shade. It's all good. I brought her right back. Good. Probably four games later. Keep bringing her back. Yeah. You got well, six years left before now. she won't talk to you anymore. She might have her own mic now. I, I, I'm doing that out of my own interest. <laughs> Not to bring her back now. <laughs> Did you think it was an advantage to have an NBA player as a dad? Uh, for when I got to the league, I think it was. Yeah, that's um, what I mean. Yeah, just to have a kind of understanding of how things worked. Seeing how my dad really went through his routine. Um, how he kind of kept distractions away. Um being around in the NBA locker room, seeing how he treated the people and you know behind the scenes, just, you know, the equipment managers, everybody that works at the arena, he was like an uber professional when it came to that. So I got yeah. that firsthand experience um, and haven't strayed too far from it. I hope, um, but definitely helped me just be more comfortable once I got to the league. I I don't know how much of, of a advantage it was per se when it came to like you know high school recruiting, all that type of stuff in terms of. Might have been then a disadvantage. It, it was a little bit in high school just because the spotlight was on me and I had to really perform because people knew who my dad was. But um, you know, I didn't I didn't get a I, I I guess I didn't get any scholarship offers from Heidi when they didn't think I was ready. But when I went to Davis and I don't think it was because my dad was Del Curry and yeah. that was gonna be uh you know the only the only advantage to what I brought to the table. Well, you know, Worldwide <laughs> West, he told me this when uh the Donovan Mitchell draft, mm-hmm. he was like everyone's sleeping on Donovan Mitchell. He's not only would be better in the pros, but son of an athlete. And he's like, athletes, son of an athlete to have an advantage when they go into the, because they're adults. They come into the sport. They're adults already and they've seen it and they know what kind of, what I had never thought about it before. I really, but it makes sense. It's an interesting theory. Just felt comfortable, like just showing up to the arena on a yeah. game day yeah. and knowing like, all right, there's going to be, you know, cameras over here. There's going to be, you know, people around the locker room. There's going to be distractions all yeah. over the place. And I just got to see it. So definitely gave me a little bit of peace, especially my rookie year and early in my career. When you go to Minnesota, do you have a little something extra for them? <laughs> or do you not have any bitterness anymore? My guy, David Kahn, I don't know where he's at right now, but uh, the, I don't know if that ever came out. Uh, he, there's a story around, I mean, everybody knows how much I love golf Yeah, and played in my spare time or whatnot. He, uh, I think the word on the street was that he didn't draft me because in Minnesota it's cold and I wouldn't be able to play as much golf. So I would have been miserable. Is that true? I hope it's true. Cause that's hilarious. <laughs> that's hilarious. It was idiotic in the moment. <laughs> I did a draft diary. I was going nuts. Because if you're gonna take two point guards, how are you not one of the two? I don't know. I mean, and then if you're gonna take if you if you're gonna go all in on Rubio and you don't even know if he's coming over, 
You and Rubio actually would have been an interesting backcourt. I would have been okay with that. That was it, because he didn't come for two years, right? So yeah. I guess my third year, he it was his official It was just so weird. Year. And then I was mad just as a Celtics fan. I was like, is he, he's going to follow the Knicks? Are you kidding me? <laughs> and then the Warriors took. And then the, Nick, the Knicks fans have never recovered, really. No, that was a That fun is night. the all-time what-if for the Knicks. The thing is, though, if you go to Minnesota, now I don't, I'm not speaking about the franchise right now, but the franchise 09 through 14 wasn't wasn't really a top-notch franchise, and you had issues with your ankles and all this stuff, and the team that you went to, I really feel like that that was probably a good place for you because, you know, if you'd gone to the wrong team that had diagnosed some of the stuff that was oh, going on with you incorrectly, you might have been out of the league in like six years. It was an interesting time. Uh, so I was drafted in 09. We were kind of in a transition. Uh, we had an old ownership of you know, Chris Cohan who owned the team before. Yeah. And he was trying to sell it um, all throughout my rookie year. So when uh, Joe Lake and Peter Guber stepped up towards the end of my, uh, right, right after my rookie year in that summer, it didn't become official until later. Didn't really know where the direction of the franchise was going in the front office or on the court. Um, and so it allowed me just to just play basketball and just worry about, you know, getting better and figuring out how I can really make it in the league. Yeah. Obviously, I couldn't predict what was going to happen with my ankles and the three years of, you know, being being injured and two surgeries and all that type of stuff, but definitely was in a place that um, I could just, I, I would say it was, it was a little bit more patience in terms of uh, dealing with it and getting through it, figuring out how I can get my body right so that uh, when the chips all stacked right, I was able to play. And Who was the right. most important person for figuring out? Because you basically had to restructure how you ran, um, yeah. all the, the shoes you wear, all the stuff that if this happened in 1970, you would have been screwed for hundred percent. Um, there's countless people that have been a part of that process since uh, the injury started. Um, I met with a trainer, Brandon Payne, who I've been working with since my first surgery, who's a guy out of Charlotte, um, who trains the body and my, my skill work, uh, we've been, we've been working together. It's been an amazing kind of journey in that, in that regard. Weren't He's you doing something wrong with the way you ran? Like you're running, you're putting too much stress on the outside or yeah, something? So I didn't realize the chain of, yeah. of effects that go from basically your core to your glutes, to your hamstrings and all the way down to your ankles. Basically anything that I did, I was relying on my foot to stabilize itself as opposed to using every other big muscle yeah. that uh, that is important in that stability uh, aspect. So once I got the knowledge and I had the retraining, literally how my body moves, because I was very limber and kind of just flaily, I guess you call yeah. it, like the used car salesman dude out, out front, the bull right. thing. Like that's literally how I had to, I ran and moved. I had to be able to figure out how to get stable from the core and then work my way down. Um, so that's done now. You've figured that it's out. Done. It's, it's never, it's, I say it's done in terms of the education around exactly how I, I need to do it, but there's retraining that happens literally every summer, every yeah. time I step foot in the gym uh, to make sure that I, uh, my body is, can call on that in the most pressure situations and when I get tired throughout the course of a season or in, in the playoffs for sure. Yeah, it's a great what if. There's so many guys from the 60s, 70s, and 80s that, you know, you tear your ACL, you're done. Yeah. You have a foot injury, they misdiagnose it, that's worse, you're out of the league in three years. And this generation that you're in, I think the the science of stuff, the way it's able to save people's careers, prolong careers, I don't know how long you're going to play. Have you thought about it? Conceivably, you could play until you're like 45 if you I hope wanted so. to. I mean, I, I always, when I came in the league, I was like, I just want to play 16 years just because my dad played 16 years. And 
And by the uh, way, that, would the, be the that was no joke. Your dad played 16 <laughs> years. It was a lot remember, of years back then. It's a lot of years. I remember his last three in Toronto, maybe one more, four when he's played in Milwaukee during the lockout year. Uh, he was 34 to 38 in that period. And he'd do dealing with like back spasms and, yeah. you know, sore tendonitis in his knees and like all, like literally what he had to do to get his body ready just to play a game. It was, I was just in awe of it. Right. Um, I hope that when I get to that age, I can, you know, it'd be a little less maintenance in terms of, you know, being able to, to play. But like, that's when you see like guys like Vince and, um, Jason Terry, guys that are playing in their forties right now, dirt, what he's doing. Um, yeah. There's a true appreciation for the science of things that gets guys, you know, a little bit, uh, longer longevity in their uh, in their careers. So. It's funny you didn't mention LeBron in that, but LeBron is, I think he's this is year sixteen. Like he's it's officially tricky, right? a senior citizen, yeah. right? <laughs> well, no, but he's not. It's tricky because he came when he was eighteen. Yeah. Right? So that sixteen years is sixteen years in the NBA, and that wear and tear is no joke. I when I was no a kid, Havlicek played sixteen years, and everybody was like, "Whoa, <laughs> sixteen years! Oh my god!" It seemed like so long. Yeah. And now Dirk's at like twenty one. <laughs> I saw Dennis Dwayne Wade said he might play one more year. And I'm like, why are you leaving? Yeah. You're 36. You still you, got with a the technology now, you could play five more years. 100%. Um, yeah, your your situation's interesting because conceivably you could just be a stretch the floor guy until you're 50. I don't see your three-point shot going away. I don't see it either. I, so as, as you long see as you want like, to do it, you can do it. But you see like Jason Kidd when he was playing. Yeah. He's – the way he pivoted at each stage of his career when his body needed to, yep. he figured out a different skill set to call on. Like, so obviously he was the most athletic point guard that could, you know, dish and drive and, and finish and do all that stuff. And as his career evolved, he became a three point shooter. And you think he's like top five, maybe top five in all time three point. I wouldn't even have guessed that. And, and he was a terrible knowledge. shooter for right, like 10 but he years. He figured it out. Yeah. And his last, my, when I played against him my first two or three years before he, he moved on to coaching, uh, he was an entirely different player, but he was very impactful in terms of just orchestrating the offense, you know, staying at the top of the key, finding the guy that was open and knocking yeah. down an open three. Um, and he did that and got three extra years out of his career. So, um, and a championship. So it's, uh, we'll never, you ever, never know what, it, what it'll, it'll take to, to keep your career going, but I, I think I can figure it out. I remember I talked to <clears throat> Nash about it. I can't remember if it was Nash and Dirk together, but they were saying, the, the fun part's playing, the not fun part, and the part that starts to just suck as you get older is the the summers yeah, and the off-season and all I'm the not- work that it takes to actually get ready to play in the games and that after like year 16, 17, 18, you just don't want to do it anymore. I'm not quite there. I, no, you, you're the year, say like, you're year 10. You're thinking about, yeah, like that, hopefully you're making the playoffs that June to September. It's not just, you know, waking up, going to the gym, getting your skill work in, getting a massage, stretch, go yeah. home, rest, do it all over again. There's a lot more elements to it. And there's a lot more uh, strategy that goes into it. Um, I can see it starting to, to – my body's responding amazing right now, so I don't, I don't want to – What are you, 30? I'm 30, yeah, freshly 30. So um, young, I can see – Young 30. I asked Vince that. I can, I can see just how much goes into just being ready to play. Um and in the summers, you got to lay that foundation because in the regular season, it's not that much time to really focus on, you know, the body in terms of you got games every other night. So you got to be, you got to be prepared. Well, Vince had a 
Vince never played in the playoffs, so he was able to get those times off. Sorry, <laughs> That's Vince. my guy. <laughs> Almost don't throw no Vince shade. Vince, I'm still I mad not... at Vince. I'm still mad no. at him for quitting on Toronto. <laughs> I'm the only one who what seems is... to remember this now. It was watched, a full-fledged quitting. documentary, and some stuff I, I forgot, because my dad played on the uh, 2000 to 2002 team with him. Yeah. So I was playing pickup with... Uh, with or playing one on one with Vince. His oh, first, he was second, on the. Who was on that team? Two thousand, two thousand two. That was Anthony uh, Davis. Anthony was, Davis, Muggsy, my dad. Uh, was Oakley still on that Alvin team? Or Williams. Was he, he was there for a little bit. Um, they had Charles Oakley for a little bit. They had Oak. Uh, my favorite podcast of the year so far. <laughs> I listen to that. every every Phenomenal. every story is him punching somebody. <laughs> Which I was around for one of those stories. What was the one almost fight you were in or pseudo fight, near fight? In David Lee was in it too. The, yeah, yeah. With Who was uh, that against? Roy Hibbert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my now teammate, David West. Um, That's what that was. Yeah, David West came in. So that was it. That was a good hold me back fight. That was the day hold before the, the New York game. So that got me going. Yeah. That was the day before. Uh, we <laughs> Roy and, uh, and D. Lee squared up and I'm standing at the free throw. I got, this is an amazing story. I got to go through the whole detail. Roy Hibbert and... D Lee square up, they chest bump and they like separate and they look like they're going back to, you know, square up again. And for some reason, I just lose my mind. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go grab Roy Hibbert and pull him off the scrum. Yeah. So Roy feels something on him. He like just whips his left elbow back and I go flying towards the baseline. So I'm like a little stunned, like, dang, he really just threw me off him like that. So I got to get back up and go back at him. And at that point, D West comes around, uh, Dre, uh, was it, uh, Draymond and, um, and, and, uh, who am I missing? Oh, Jared Jack. They're all kind of just in the, in this pile. And literally as every time, every step you take, you're moving closer and closer and closer to the sideline into the stands. The whole time that's going on, my guy Clay has the ball in his hand. He's like looking on the other side. And as soon as the, the scrum call the calms down, He's over there doing some form shots on the, on the court. Like the video is freaking hilarious. He's just shooting form shots. You know, and the ball never left his arm the whole time. While the whole uh, uh, when you quotes the fight was going on. So that that could have been a dangerous <laughs> fight. There was a lot there of was a uh, lot of spillage. There's a lot of testosterone on that court. Andres Bejans is out there, my guy. Oh man, crazy. You know, game one of the finals, which is one of the best games I've ever seen in person of this year's this finals. year. Yeah. LeBron was coming off uh, this this insane playoff too. run. Last year's game one was amazing too. Which one was that? That was I'm trying where to remember what we, happened. Literally, the intensity from oh start yeah yeah to you're finish right yeah was it's nothing I'd ever felt like. Everybody played their best game. It was unbelievable. I, yeah, the I whole, remember that. The whole uh, game one this year was crazy. But go ahead, sorry, I interrupted. No, I was trying. Oh, I remember. Uh, LeBron. Mm -hmm. was coming off that Boston series. He was playing about as well offensively as he's ever played. Mm -hmm. And he was so used to the – usually the game one is a feeling out game. As you said the year before, you guys don't have to feel each other out anymore. You just go. And that game was awesome. This game, he was – He was amazing. Really, really good. And then the JR thing happens, which uh, in in uh, afterwards, like we had stuff in the locker room that we had to take out of court time, unfortunately. <laughs> but – uh, Clay saying thanks, Jr. and all this stuff. But uh, but we get we get to OT and LeBron was starting with that foul, like thirty seconds left in regulation, mm -hmm. or when the charge and got flipped. He's the maddest I've ever seen him. And then in the OT, the game slipping away, and he like blocked you and he talked shit to you. Yeah. I thought you guys were gonna fight. 
Because I was sitting right under that basket. I was like, holy shit, they're going to fight for like two yeah, seconds. That's why I said NBA pettiness is at an all-time high. Like, yeah. Both sides, we were just, it was never going to spill over to that, but it was an interesting moment. With all that had gone on in game one. You went I, right at him, though. I, I know. I was I was hot because I was trying to finish out of possession. I think it was less than a minute left. I didn't see him coming over from the weak side, so I tried to do a little soft scoop layup, and he yeah. pinned it. And but then he stared you then down. Then he stared me time. down, and he said something to me. And I was like, that's what we're really on right now? Like, we're about to win, and you're yeah. really worried about me blocking my shot and talking trash? And uh, and then the whole JR or sorry the whole Tristan and Draymond thing happened. I went back up to him. I was like, "Yo, what's up? I'm like, we, yeah, is this really what we about right now?" Like, he's like, I, "You know, I got to do that and make sure my teammates know I'm I'm a mentor and that's like it's part of the you know his leadership and that type of deal." And I was like, "I don't want to be the sacrificial lamb for your leadership. Like, come on, man, that's messed up." <laughs> but uh, it's all the, the back and forth and stuff. When you play a team in the finals, literally four years in a row, there's a lot of a lot of back and forth going. on. I want more of it. I don't want you guys to like each other. This is my biggest no, problem of this saying. decade. I like that I'm not positive you and LeBron like each other. <laughs> like watching from afar, it doesn't seem like you like each other. I'm sure there's a mutual say, respect. But. There's definitely mutual respect. I would say, though, like when you see guys like working out with each other in the summers and you see guys playing pickup and all that, when they step foot on the court in the, during the season, it's a whole totally different environment. So guys can be buddies and friends and whatnot and, and have – uh, whatever type of relationship they want to have, you know, in the summer and off the court, but it, the, the rivalry and competition and egos and all that stuff that, that lives in, in, in an in a NBA game. And when you're trying to, you know, hold that trophy, that it's, it's really there. And so that's not, that's not going anywhere. I was giving KD shit when we saw him for the last podcast about how he did that Uber commercial with LeBron. <laughs> and I was like, magic, why are you doing commercials with him? He's trying and, to butter you up. Magic and Bird do the... Uh, yeah, I didn't like it. Magic saw Michael and... Who was it? Michael and Larry did the... No, McDonald's? Magic and Bird. Bird beat Magic in the finals. They and they did the commercial yeah. after. And then the Lakers won the next year. Now, yeah, he years. buttered them up. I don't like it. I don't want you guys to get along. <laughs> I want adversarial relationships. They're there. They're there. I promise it does you. seem like it. Well, I now you have to be on the all-star team with LeBron. You have to get along with him for two days. That's a good point. Oh, man, I didn't think about that. Yeah. In terms of like, the whole captain thing last year, we were captains of the uh, Oh, that's right. Teams. We're not doing the conferences. Or, well, we are. That- we're the, I guess the, each conference, the leading vote getter is the captain of that team, and then you pick from the rest of the group. So technically – Oh, so it's you versus LeBron right, for One captain. of us is going to be the captain or somebody else, and then we have to pick the opposite person. So it's I got to say, I like the dynamic. All-Star game. I thought that, I I thought that worked. You I guys hate, were hate, all into it. I hated losing. Yeah. Uh, but that whole – Kind of just different look is the guys have been playing with each, you know, with this set of guys on either conference for years. Um, it gave and they upped the money and the whole deal and a little incentive to, to win the game. Uh, it changed the whole dynamic for sure. It was and, good. Uh, it was, it I was could good. tell because the guys on the bench were standing. That's a good point too. Yeah. They were standing and I was on the baseline trying to, or sideline trying to figure out how to get a shot off. And like, my well, whole bench was up. I'm like, wait, y'all aren't guarding me. Oh, that's KD and LeBron are doing yeah. a double team. Try shooting a shot over KD and LeBron doing a double team. That's, that's a little difficult. I didn't like the last play you ran. I probably would have picked something different. Well, I don't know if you, you designed you, that you're one. You're debating Popovich? Uh-huh. Yeah. I just thought, I thought he mailed it in on the last play. I did. I didn't like it. You had wide open guys on that one. Wait, it was not. You were being triple teamed. Sorry, it wasn't Pop. It was just Dan Tony. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. That was a bad, yeah. Whoever it was. You didn't remember who the coach was. <laughs> um, is LeBron the best player you played against? Yeah. Probably, yeah. I mean, you sure. come into the league, right, as he's yeah. 
his first MVP season or his second MVP season. Second. Oh, yeah. Nine, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And he's been in his prime for now 11 years, which is insane. He, uh, and he, and he just posts Instagram videos of himself working <laughs> out and it's like, Oh, this makes sense. It's I, six I, in the morning and you're on I like those, man. I'm you do those too. Sure. I like the, oh, I, I, I make fun of those type of videos cause I really like them. You like them. Yeah. Last year I, I got, I got in trouble for, uh, imitating Braun at a, at a wedding last year. I forgot I'm bringing about that, that back up just cause I, I literally enjoyed the entertainment Draymond was making fun of Braun with his haircut last year and the whole deal. Braun was posting the workouts and all that type of stuff. It's great entertainment all the way around. And I'm pretty sure people make fun of stuff that I post too, but yeah. like the, I was doing a wedding and I was doing the song came on that he was dancing to in the, in the video. And like, that's the only thing I could see in my head. So I did the dance. It was amazing. I forgot about that. It's amazing. Well, Draymond and LeBron, they're like Draymond's on uninterrupted, which I don't like either. <laughs> I don't that's, think you should have any. There's too many things you don't like. No, I don't, I don't want you guys to like each other, especially now that he's on the Lakers. I want this to be a real bad blood feud. This will be, yeah, it'll take a new life. Because you lost the Clippers. That feud's over. Yeah, the, the, the whole gone. team's gone. But yeah, the whole team's gone. You got nobody to feud with. Life. We have four years of equity in, in you know, LeBron and in, in Cleveland. And now yeah. um, there he's in our division now. And, uh, the divisions matter in the NBA no. anymore. What, no, they were created for what? Just for scheduling and for. I did a like, thing about this in my book. Not only are they stupid, but there were years where they had like San Antonio in the same division as like Boston and like crazy. Oh, so I, yeah, they just there's no rivalry on the there. history of it. But yeah, yeah. I, I, it's still like, well, anyway. They're in. There's obviously a warrior of North. Uh, SoCal and Nor NorCal, or however you say it. You guys it, have the Robert division that makes there. the most sense. Right, us, LA, it's a California teams. Clippers, Sacramento, and Phoenix. Yeah. yeah, that division actually makes sense, and you guys are relatively near <laughs> each other. <laughs> to talk to it's actually going to be really fun. Uh, I always call it the West Coast League Pass teams. Uh -huh. And you guys actually have kind of sucked on league pass because you're up by 33 fourths of the games. And the third that's not quarter. true though, eh. because we usually are down at halftime and then we go on those third quarter rallies. Yeah. Like so I just one, have to watch the, on the first six Coast, minutes of third quarter like midnight and we go on this run <laughs> and then you're like, all right. <laughs> but Phoenix will be more fun this year. Yeah. Sacramento yeah. is like a fantasy team. I'm going to enjoy just what the hell's going on on that. A whole bunch of different yeah, types Clippers of guys. Clippers made some moves, obviously LA. So it's the Lakers will be fun. You have some old teammates on the Lakers? I do. I do. Just JaVale or is there anybody else? Yeah, JaVale. I mean, I know all the other guys, but just I think I, the only one I play with is JaVale. But Boston's on your radar. I can feel it. Boston's going to be tough. They yeah. freaking made the Eastern Conference Finals without You got to admit, the Kyrie Celtics have always played you tough, no matter who's on the team. They have. Um, that is true. Yeah. I can go back every year. We used a, 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 a down-to-the-wire game. Um whether it's their place or ours. I'm, two years ago when Isaiah was there and Avery Bradley, we won at their place and then they came yeah. and beat us at our place. Um, Avery always did a nice job on you. Avery's tough. Yeah. He's a bulldog. Who's the top He's three tough. for you? Avery's there. Avery's probably in there. Um, Chris Paul, when he's allowed to use 45,000 a game. <laughs> I'll agree He's with tough. That. Uh, I had a little, little trouble at the beginning with um, – Oh my goodness! Uh, and, uh, he played at Memphis. Uh, oh, uh, Tony Allen. Sorry, T.A. I had a truck because I mean that playoff series. They I, 
for some reason they wanted to put a bigger guy that had a little bit of length on me. I could get by him, but he was so crafty with using his hands and and very high IQ defender. So it took me a minute to try to figure it out. But it felt like the last two years, every time Kevin Love got switched on you, you had a flashback to the game seven sixteen, and you wanted to score on him. Yes. Is that fair? That is very fair. I spent a whole year hearing about uh, that one possession in the uh, 2016 finals. Do you, you've won three titles. Do you still feel about 2000? You think about 2016? 100%. You all, you, when you're right there at the cusp of winning a championship and, uh, and you lose, like that stings. Obviously, when you win, it's an amazing feeling. And that's, uh, I want to be on that podium every year, but you can always, Try to be greedy and look back like, damn, if I would have did this differently, if I would have did this differently, maybe one or two possessions, we would have had another championship. Um, they're hard thoughts to, to move on from, even though they inspire, you know, the, the comeback pursuit, which uh, has been the last two years. It's a fascinating last six minutes to watch. It's actually not of very, game seven. Of game the seven. Game. It's actually not very well played. Everybody just misses shots. Mm-hmm. But LeBron makes the two makes he get basically six points against Azili. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he has the one block, one block, and then Kyrie, Kyrie makes the shot. one three. But not a lot happens positive in those last six minutes. Everybody seems so tired, and it's it seems tired. so it's tense. Just the tense, crowd's yeah, just standing there. It's a tense like, moment. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I think it's really hard to explain unless you've been in an arena for one of those games. How tense those game sevens can get, and how you can just you feel weren't in, it. you weren't in Houston this year, were you? No, but I I, I could tell from the TV. I knew that. I mean, you could talk, I could talk about that game all day. Like, obviously it's tough when CP goes out, but just the, the, the tension from the, from the jump, uh, like knowing every possession, every pass, yeah. every dribble, like mattered for us to get to the finals. The pressure on us to get back there, the pressure for them to try to get over the hump, like very palpable throughout the whole entire arena. And, uh, when, when we finally started to figure out in the second half, it still wasn't a good feeling. Like, like we were accomplishing anything, it still was like we're just. This is like a hell of a fight, and until you actually heard the buzzer sound and you could like take a breath of you know a sigh of relief, um, that's why I think we had such big smiles on our face because that was probably one of the hardest series I think we've ever played in. Yeah, I couldn't tell how much of it was you guys just seemed exhausted by the run, and how much was how good and physical they were defensively. It seemed like a combo of those two things. Oh, for sure. They kind of caught you at the right point, but they also, the stuff they did defensively was the highest level we've seen anybody defend you guys. I mean, well, to, you know, Daryl Moore has been very outspoken about it. They, they tried to design a team to beat us, and yeah. they had a certain game plan that they worked on all year. Um, and they weren't shy about, you know, proclaiming it. And when it got to that series, you know, some stuff they did worked. Some stuff we did uh, – to counter it, be started to work a little bit better. Um, but that's that's what a NBA playoff series should be like, like yeah, back and forth, um, where you really don't know who has momentum, who has control of the series at any given time. And uh, it goes down to the last half of the game seven. Um, that series literally felt like two months. Yeah, like that was the one I could look back throughout this playoff run and say that was that was a gauntlet. It's weird. I. I never ever felt like you guys were actually going to get bounced watching it. I had this I weird confidence. No, I'm not even saying that. Butter <laughs> up, like I had this weird confidence. I was like, "No, they'll figure it out." But at the same time, I was like, "Is this going to be one of those things where Houston's celebrating and I'm still going?" No, no, the Warriors got this. <laughs> but uh, that's how it know. felt like in 2016. <laughs> 
Yeah. Like, oh, no, this is another game, right? Like, this ain't it. When Draymond punched LeBron in the balls, did you know in the moment he was going to get suspended? No. We were actually made it to, I think, practice the two days later before game <clears throat> five, not knowing what was going on. Um, not really thinking that it deserved to, uh, to be switched to a flagrant or whatnot. And, yeah. Um, it was, it was a, it was a surprise when we got that word. We got it right at the end of our practice. So we had prepared as if Draymond was playing the whole practice. And then we got the word right after that yeah. he wasn't. And that kind of shook us a little bit. Cause that game four was actually one of the best Warriors games. Mm-hmm. That was, you, we were, you ended that game. That was a, we are the was a statement game. Like, yeah. It was yeah. a statement game. It was like, wow, they're winning in five and that's it. So it's another good NBA. What if you must've been excited when they traded Kyrie though. Me? Yeah. No, I, I was like, oh, this is great. They traded Kyrie. <laughs> it was, Thank it you, was Cleveland. Yeah. Well, literally, when you play a team uh, or go through a, a final series like that, like we did in 2015, he obviously he only played game one, then uh, 2016 and 17, there's a certain look that they present and a certain challenge with, you know, LeBron and Kyrie able to take turns on possessions. Yeah. Kyrie can create his own shot. Um and you, it was almost like, like, what are they, like, I know they still have Braun and they have, uh, a, a really uh, shooters around him and they know how they're going to score and how they're going to be effective. It's like, that's such a different dynamic that they're missing. Yeah. And, uh, I would have written we that one out. That. We were, I, I've heard, I heard your take on that. Yeah. I've heard your take on that. So, I mean, I just, I've said this a million times. I judge guys by the, by the playoffs and the finals and who's out there. Like in that game seven in 2016, who would I want on the court for right, those for six minutes? Yeah. And if somebody can step into that moment and make the biggest shot of the game, he I want him that. on my team. He's he's a killer, man. Can we talk about Charlotte really quickly? <clears throat> yes. Are we sure you're not ending your career there? <laughs> I love the Bay Area, man. I, I actually, only reason I go home now is if my sister's getting married or to go play the Hornets for that one, uh, that one game. So I haven't really been back much, but, uh, I haven't really put my, my, my mind there. So you like so. when you go back, it's like when I go back to Boston, it's great to be back. I love it. Oh, you get all amazing. these old memories, but you don't feel like, like it, a real, like I got to finish my career. Now you feel that with the Warriors. For sure. I do. Yeah. This is home. This is where I want to be for obvious reasons. <laughs> Would you, how do you feel about all the bandwagon, uh, Warriors fans that jumped on during the during the first title because you remember the old school Warriors fans. It's a part of it. My favorite thing now is like if I'm on Twitter or Instagram and I see a uh, uh, a picture of like Nate Thurman and it's like only real Golden State Warrior fans know who this guy is without having to Google it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, like those type of uh, when they question the fans, I love that. But like when you come, you see like when we had the parade and you see Oakland with a million people downtown wearing Warrior gear, celebrating a cha- our third championship in four years. Like whoever wants to put that jersey on and support us, man, it's amazing. Like, that it's, was it's, the it's, case when Laker bought the team. Everyone's like, oh, $400 million. It's yeah. like, yeah, they're one of the biggest markets <laughs> in the U.S. Know, they're sleeping on the Bay Area. Valley's right there and they have great fans. Sleeping on it, man. I it's going to be interesting it. this year, I, I will say – Oh, this is the spent, last year in Oakland. Haven't spent ten years, or going on my tenth year in Oakland. This being the last year there before we move to San Francisco, it's going to be a real sentimental year, especially for me being the the elder statesman on the team. Um, having seen the dog days, my first three, four years, yeah. we were in a playoff team to you know those pivotal playoff runs where we were starting to figure it out and seeing you know the fan base pick up and 
us really looking at a championship to the last three years where we've we've got it done, or three out of the last four years. Like a lot has been you know, experienced, won and lost in Oakland at Oracle. So it's gonna be a little different. Um I like I like you have a couple things in your favor this year. Cause normally you'd be like, ah, you've hit four straight finals. It's gonna be rough. How are they gonna get motivated? Last year of Oracle. Mm-hmm. Boogie coming Boogie. in around all-star break, maybe even sooner. And then LeBron and the Lakers. Those are three nice little keep you fresh kind of things. I think when a team's going to try to own a decade, which you guys have basically owned a big chunk of it, I would say you're the team of the decade. Now Miami got two. Mm-hmm. Four straight yeah, finals. Four straight finals. I got two. Miami did four straight finals. So I don't know. Maybe <clears> this year decides it. But those little that, those little things help because the season's too long. What do you, what, what is your ideal length for the season? 70? 72? I've heard the case for 70. I, I see it on paper. It actually look, it looks good. I mean, there's no way we're going to go less than 82. It's just the NBA is too it's popular. Too it's just, yeah, it's just, fans want games. Um, and that's what we're in the business for. Do you um, think how much, what would, what effect would it have on your performance over the course of regular season if it was 70 versus 82? With uh, more I don't spread know how to out rest a, and stuff. I don't know how to put it. Just, I don't know how it would affect injuries. Like I, I, I think it would maybe have a positive effect just because there's a little less wear and tear, a little probably eight less back to backs, whatever the yeah. case is. Um, I don't know. I don't know how. I don't. I've never put myself in thinking like if I had three extra days to rest between a game in the middle of February, like right. that would actually be real rejuvenating. But I, it, my like, whole do you process get legitimately now, tired during the season? There are, feel, there, are mo- there are weeks like yeah. you can have a, a, a rough week where you come off a f- four and five day stretch, four game to five day stretch with a flight and you come back and it's like, all right, I got, you know, two out of the next three at home yeah. with one more back to back at the end. And you're like, all right, you're looking at the schedule and you're like, all right, how are we going to get through this little stretch? And you, your body starts to feel it. Um, but and if you have some team stuff too, that also the season. Everybody has team stuff. Yeah, that's part of the that's part of the beast anyway. Uh, but I, everybody has their process of how they deal with it, and I think for us, for me particularly, like I got a certain routine that I try to stick with every single step of the way that helps you uh, counteract that that fatigue that might set in. Why did David West say that thing after the finals about if people <laughs> understood what happened during this? Like, it was sounded very cryptic. It was very cryptic. I think I might be still trying to figure it out too. <laughs> You're like, did I miss something? Was there a fight I missed? I didn't go to. Did I go to a team dinner or what? I, <laughs> what happened? No, but uh, I think just in general, there's like you said, there's so many different dynamics at play when it comes to chasing a championship, and there's so much. You're, you're with each other all the time. Yeah. Like low key, my wife hates when I say that. I, I am with the team more than I'm with my family during the season. Yeah. And it's. That's a good thing and a bad thing in terms of, uh, you know, emotions kind of get into it. Um, you know, you just, it's hard to kind of picture the, the goal right in the middle of the season where you're trying to get to. All that type of stuff comes into play. So you just have the great teams figure it out and they, they keep the focus on, on winning games and playing basketball and caring for each other. And I think that's what we've, we've, we figured out. See, I feel like a, a team is like a marriage. If, if you're with a couple and you spend a week with them on vacation or something and they never like mix it up at all like, and it's just the- like too perfect, you're like, all right, <laughs> something, <laughs> this is getting weird. I want, I want teammates to yell at each other on the court. That tells me that they like each other and they 100%. can do that, you know? We had that moment uh, 
Was that two years ago when KD first joined our team? We had that yeah. moment in Sacramento where him and Draymond got into it. Yeah. And everybody was like, oh, what's going on? The Warriors chemistry is broken. KD's messed up. Yeah. Draymond's not happy. Coming up next. Steph doesn't, yeah, the hot takes, the, the lead. Steph doesn't yeah. know how to lead the team, this and that. Yeah. Coach Kerr's popping off, throwing F-bombs, getting thrown out the game. Like, yeah, that's a part of the, the beast, man. Like, it's stressful what we do. And like, in the, we keep the perspective, like we're playing basketball, but the stress on like actually winning games and doing what we need to do to prepare your mind, your body to, to go out and compete. And when teams are coming at your throat every single night, like that's, it's, it's hard, man. It's well, you hard. also have a lot of people who I don't feel like ever actually played basketball. Weighing in on what it's like for teammates <laughs> yeah, to interact with basketball. Because yeah. I played basketball my whole life, including with some of the best friends I have in my life. We yell at each other on the court. <laughs> it's not like three hours later. I'm like, man, I can't believe you yelled at me because I didn't set that pick. Like, right. fuck you. <laughs> like, it just happens. You move on. That's the whole point of That's basketball. It. That's it, man. You don't hold any grudges. You just, you know, what you, need. you check people when you need to. And we got a lot of guys that do that. Yeah. Um, from an all-time standpoint, I guess we'll wrap on this. Do you think about this stuff at all? Like where I would like top yeah. ranking the all time. I was list. messing around my pyramid. Where am I, Bill? Where am I? Want me to look? Where am I? I'll check it out. Tell me something good, man. Tell me. But like, all right, well, you talk, <laughs> I'll look this up as we're doing this. But from a team standpoint, uh-huh. you're already in the conversation. The best team ever? No, not best team saying? ever, but there there's like that short list of like the seven, eight teams that mattered. I think. Okay. You're probably on that list now. You're at least on the list with like the Kobe Shaq Lakers. Okay. That, those kind of teams. But you go four and five with the fifth one being you lose in game seven, basically in the last minute. That's now becoming a different conversation. Uh, I feel like there are real historical stakes now. Right. And then I look at somebody like Durant. You need to add that to your list of things that we need to focus on for this season. Well, but I don't, but. It's, I don't know if players care about that stuff. Yeah. I think it's like people like me care about that. But I, I don't think I am players just go by, to the next game. No, I'm definitely intrigued by how people view us in terms of like actual basketball minds that know what they're talking about in terms right. of like the history of the game. Because um, everybody has a recency bias. Everybody, you know, is a prisoner in the moment in terms of we're ruining the league because we've been in the finals four years in a row. We won three out of four and all this other type of nonsense. If you look back in the archives, like, this has happened plenty of times before and it'll probably happen plenty of times again in in their own unique kind of, you know, circumstances. Um, I appreciate like the, the general knowledge of like where this area is in comparison to what, you know, what's, what's going on on the court before. I never thought about you that until we did that thing for the HBO show when we were walking off the court and I was like, only a couple guys in my life would have taken that shot when they were over nine, <laughs> yeah. the three pointer. And, and, not only did I feel like it was going in, but the person taking the shot did too. And you were like, who's on the list? Like you were immediately intrigued. So I, so I was like, this guy's a basketball fan. And it really is like, that is not a long list. But I think, you know, from a team standpoint, I think it matters to to be able to say, you know, I look at those Jordan Bulls things, like go talk to Scottie Pippen about it. Now. It's been 20 years later. He's happy. He's still fired up about it. Probably. I like the way you that know? you put it though. I, I just said like best team ever, which I don't agree with. There is no such thing in terms of every, every era is different. And like there's a, set, the a set of circumstances different and like the whole greatest player of all time and things like that, which could be debatable or not, but there are that, that short list of, of people that change the league, that move yes. the needle, that are conversation worthy. 
um, that have, you know, a huge reason why I play the game right now, like all that type of stuff and why I think I'll have a reason why certain, you know, future generations will play. Um, figuring out, you know, who those game changers are and that set, that type of conversation is important for sure. Well, you, you, you're going to start breaking records soon that are not going to have any parallel to anything that's happened before. Some of the three point records. It's funny. Uh, I agree you're just with gonna that. You're going to start annihilating like, them. When I set the rookie, uh, three point record. Yeah. I think it was like 162 or something like that. And like it's been broken four times since. Seriously? <laughs> like Clay, uh, not Clay, uh, Damian Lillard broke it. Uh, Donovan Mitchell was up there this year. Somebody else I'm missing in between, but just the, the game is changing, obviously. So records that were untouchable in terms of right. certain shooting stats and all that type of stuff may, I hope to be in the three point conversation, be uh, up there at the end of the shortlist. I think, you're the the short the I think there's seven. <laughs> There's seven three-point shooters, maybe eight. You're on, you're on that list, obviously. Who's the then. list, Bill? Well, Reggie. Yeah, Ray. Clay. Ray. Um, Nash. Maybe it's just those four. And then after that, you go the specialist like your yeah, dad. Yeah. You get the Nash, but he never had, was like a high-volume three-pointer. No, he's just a high percentage and very efficient with it. Don't sleep on Larry Legend in 86, 41%. Good call. Good call. Made like 92 <laughs> Does it seem like a million back then? I, I found my pyramid list. All right. All right. So here's the caveat. I approached the pyramid like your career, this could be it. I'm just measuring it. Like right. You might retire right I won't now. Play so I'm just game. taking your 10. Okay. But also trying to project like, well, he's not going to retire. So let's let's go like three, four. So I have you 24 right now. A little scrawny kid from Charlotte. So okay. you, you're in level. Well, I got a lot of work to do, Bill. Level four, Havlicek, Nowitzki, Baylor, Irving. Pettit, Malone, Garnett, Barkley, Curry. But I have you ahead of poor Bob Cousy who just turned 90. <laughs> I count that as a win for now. I really, I really value MVPs. <laughs> I think like two MVPs and then the titles, like you're, you're bringing stuff to the table. So 24, you're ahead of Chris Paul. You passed Isaiah, which was a big deal for me. That's strong. But Isaiah really only played like 12 years. It's so, a different, different game. A different era. It's yeah, different he heard he tore his Achilles. He played he one game on his ankle that I probably wouldn't have. I don't think. I, I don't know if I could have played right. the way he played in that finals game. Oh uh, yeah, remember that? Yeah, yeah. it was one and of like, the classics. Like, if I would have did that, I would have been out for six months. <laughs> and then you go to Kuzi, and Kuzi played like thirteen years. You saw the sneakers they wore in nineteen fifty eight. He's wearing like Curry Fives covers. <laughs> uh, any last things you want to plug? Uh, Nothing. Um, uh, New shoes. My, I got the Curry Six coming out in December. My golf game this summer. Oh, we didn't talk about that. Was phenomenal for one day. You shot? What'd you shoot? Minus I one. I shot seventy one. No, it was, it was a par seventy course. So I, oh. I shot seventy on the first day. Sorry, seventy one on the first day. I beat fifty pros on one, on one day, and then my amateur experience kicked in on day two and I shot 86. 86? <laughs> it was the first time, like, so remember I shot, oh, I was 0 for 9 in game yeah, three. Yeah. I was, that was, I had that moment on the course on that Friday where I literally had no idea where the ball was going. I you kept should have Bruce Caddy for you. I, he, he, mine wizard, he would got me right back. Bruce would have brought, <laughs> brought you back into but, it. But uh, it's a, just being able to be out there with those pros is pretty crazy. Just try to hold my own and and hype up the game of golf because I I truly love it and trying to trying to grow that as well. So pretty crazy. What are the odds of you on the tour at some point? In your Zero. Life? 
Zero. Zero. Just from a time perspective, there's such a huge commitment to really like if it's going to take two, three years for me to get my game right. And then on top of that, would uh, so you'd have take, to retire from basketball and play golf every day for like, like two years to even have a shot at being a serious professional. But everybody says like you're legitimately talented at golf. I am, but for where I am and where right. I need what I need to be, which is play golf once a month during the season, a couple of times during the playoffs, and then all summer and play a couple of uh, tournaments in the summer just to compete and have fun. So, what other hand eye things are you good at? It's gotta be everything, right? Are you like you good I'm at darts? Pretty. I mean, I I, I can get a pool, pool darts, bowling, horseshoes, horseshoes, uh, ping pong, ping pong. Yeah, all that type cornhole. Of stuff. I'm actually not that great at cornhole. I don't know if it's about the sandbags. Just, I don't know. It's not I don't think great. from from a basketball player golf standpoint, you could be even a half inch taller than you are. I thought Jordan was too tall. Like when Jordan was like, oh, Jordan's good. guy. It's like, he's 6'6". That's not happening. Andre, Go look at golfers. Andre Iguodala is going to refute that entire premise. Really? Yes. Is Guaranteed. he better than you? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying he's 6'7". Six, yeah. 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, too tall. Crazy swing arc. But the too many ways to go wrong on the swing. Nah, the trajectory he's on with his game, he's only been playing like six, seven years. Watch out for him. Have you guys ever played for money? Oh uh, yeah, I beat him all the time. But <laughs> you just take his money. I, I, I need to be around him so we can, you know, encourage each other in the game for sure. See, this is <laughs> the NBA does that that players award night or whatever the hell it yeah. is. The biggest mistake is that they should just have a celebrity tournament with you guys and there should be a golf champ every year and it should be all the NBA players. I agree. The game, that would be it's, amazing. It's, it'll, it'll surprise you who would show up for that tournament. More people show up for that than the ESPYs this year. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when you were this wired out kid from Charlotte? Yeah. You're like, Hey, they invited me to the ESPYs. I'm going. I get, I now get, you don't go to any of that stuff. Man, if you knew guy out there sitting out this room all well, the he stuff went. that I'm invited to and that, he goes for you and that I, no but like stuff that I I take seriously but I just the time this time is so thin the stuff that I've turned down surprises the hell out of me too and that includes uh, our former president that has invited me to play golf but I cannot get to the east coast in like the next week to go play with him it's crazy oh he wants you to come so back so Barack east. if you're listening I appreciate the invite but it's not that I don't want to be there it's just I literally just can't and Trump no no. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to say, hey, I'm at Pebble Beach. I'd love uh, to take a, you out for a round. Quick, hang up. Hit the red button. Quit. <laughs> Ignore. All right. Good luck with the uh, offseason. Congrats on the three kids. Thank you very much. Keep it up, man. I appreciate that. <laughs>